Thank you, Ron and Mark, for a great presentation there. It's always fun to hear our missionary partners and, and what's happening in different parts of the world, and uh, it's encouraging. It's encouraging to hear God's moving and uh, combating the, the, the sin of the world, Lord. Uh, I just, I just want to start us off with prayer, uh, and then we can dive into uh, this message this morning. Jesus, uh, thank you for being present here, Lord. Thank you for uh, the worship, Lord, the, the, the closeness that I feel with you and these people. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, I ask that you would just guide us. Uh, and God, I feel like I need to say this. Just get me out of the way long enough to speak to these people. Lord, these are your people. So I ask that you would be close to us this morning and you would teach us through your word. In your name, amen. We've been going through this series called Together. See it right there on the banners. Pretty cool. And uh, Together has been this great series that uh, this is week three and we've looked and explored and imagined and dreamed about what it looks like to be called out together. Uh, that's the word ekklesia in the Greek is to be a group that's called out. And Jesus talks about us being the ekklesia that he will build. Uh, and, and what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it mean to be together? Uh, we talked last week about just sitting back and imagining what the church looks like tomorrow and next month and next year and on into the future. And this is one of those things that I love to do. I imagine and I dream and I ponder and I pray and I, and I wonder what it's like. And so last week I asked you to join me in that and I hope you have. I hope you're imagining what it's like. And as I began to dream this week about what tomorrow looks like at Grace Chapel and what next year and five years look like at Grace Chapel, it dawned on me that we, we use the past in a really strange way when we imagine the future. And when I say to you, what does Grace Chapel look like communally in the future? Chances are you do what I do, which is draw on the past. Your experiences, the times that you have shared, the times that you have been burdened and people have come alongside you the times that you've celebrated with people about the joys of their life, the times that you've been struggling in sin and you had a brother or sister come alongside you and bear that burden with you. And that's, those images and those experiences are probably fresh in your mind when you dream about what tomorrow looks like. And I think that's wonderful. I don't think there's anything wrong. In fact, I think we need to draw on the past in order to understand where God has us going in the future. But as I began to think about those experiences, something kind of hit me, and it's this. Those experiences are, are benefits of community. They are what we imagine and what we enjoy from community, but they aren't the point. They aren't the thing that we share in common. And as I began to think about this message, I thought we need to start dreaming about what we share in common and we need to deepen our relationship um, with each other around that idea. So what do we share in common? What do we have in common with everybody in this room that draws us together? The deepening of that is what the future looks like. And it will probably feel like the past in some ways because we'll share with each other and we'll celebrate with each other and we'll do all those things but if we want to move forward, it's not about duplicating the past or, or even coming up with some great idea for the future. It's about deepening what we share. And that's the point. That's the, the foundational concept of what togetherness is all about. There's a group of people in, in, the, in the first century that wondered the same thing. 
And there's groups all over the known world at this point that, that Paul has ministered to and he's started churches in and he's written letters to. And the group that we're going to act like this morning is the church in Rome. The church in Rome wondered the same things that you and I wonder. What does it look like? Does it look like the past? Is it something that we can't even imagine in the future? Do we share things with the past and the future? What does it look like? Paul understood that. And God guided Paul to give Paul the words to share with this church, to encourage them. And we get to look at those words this morning and be encouraged ourselves. So we're going to find this, this idea in this text this morning. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12. If you heard um, Jim McCarthy's welcome this morning, he quoted Romans 12, 1 and 2. And we're going to pick up right there. We're going to start in verse 3, and we're going to read through. Um, if you have your Bible, grab it, pull it out, open it up to Romans 12. If, if you don't have it, don't worry. We're going to put words up on the screen for you to follow along with. And, and I just want to take our time with this. I want the text, to uh, our hearts to just absorb what is there. And, and just a side comment, there is so much in this text. There is so much in this word. And my hope this morning and every Sunday is to inspire you to go back to it. So go back to it again and again and again and learn from it. This is what Paul says to his church in Rome. Chapter 12, verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of us. If we just pause there for a minute, if you were with me last week, it's a very similar idea. Paul warned the church in Galatia about pride. And he warned them, when you lift up your brother, when you bear a burden of a fellow brother, be careful. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And isn't it interesting? He's now writing to a different church. And he's given them the same warning. Paul is saying, hey, before I get into what I'm about to tell you, I just want to warn you. This is kind of my thing. Be careful about pride. Be careful it doesn't slip in to your heart. It's a silent killer. And it's a slippery slope. And it's like, well, what, why would Paul be warning two different churches that are wondering about community, about pride? Why would he be warning them about pride? And it's this. When we do really good things in the name of Jesus, one of the benefits of those good works, when we bear with our brothers and sisters and we help them with their burdens, one of the benefits is a feeling that I think the Holy Spirit gives us. It's a good feeling. It's a feeling of accomplishment and of forward progress. And if you've been a part of a church or in part of a ministry, you, you know this feeling, this, this good feeling deep inside. And it's like, yes, we're making progress here. We're deepening this idea. But that feeling can lead to something else. It can lead to superiority. It can lead to you feeling like you're just, you're just a little better than that person that you helped, right? Paul's doing the same thing here. He's saying, I'm going to tell you some really cool stuff about the church. And if you do it, you're going to feel great. But you've got to be careful. You have to be careful not to slip into pride. And this is how thorough Paul is. In this verse, just in case you think he's being prideful about warning about pride, 
he has this little phrase. And Paul does this all the time. He just these little phrases pop out. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. So Paul is saying, hey, guess what, guys? I have no right to tell you what I'm about to tell you. And if you look into my life, you're going to find that I struggle with this exact same thing. And it's not by my authority that I tell you this. It's by the grace that God has given me. You see, God looks down at Paul and he sees someone who struggles with pride. And Paul is saying, guys, you need to understand, this is a struggle that I have. And that's not why I'm telling you. It's in spite of that. See, God has extended grace to me, Paul, in order for you to understand this truth. So before you get all excited about the pride in my life, understand, I have no right on my own to speak this. This is by God's grace. We, we could just close the book right now. That is a fantastic lesson. That even Paul does not have the authority, does not consider himself more highly than he ought. And he says it outright, God gave me the grace to be here. And that's the only reason I can tell you this truth. We're going to move on. Now we get into verse 4 here. Paul goes on to say, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. We're going to take a really long pause at that comma, okay? It's not a period, I know. It'd be nice if it was a period. No, it's a comma. We're going to stop right there. Here's another one of these little phrases that Paul throws out there. He draws on this analogy. And you think, okay, yeah, we get the analogy. It's body, many parts. Diversity is good. We get it. It's many parts. It does simple things. Got it. But Paul draws on this analogy And isn't it interesting that virtually everyone who has a body can relate to it? Whether the body works well or whether the body works poorly, you understand the diversity of yourself. Paul does this. He is a fantastic debater. And he's already won us to his side of thinking, his way of thinking, before we even know what he's thinking. So he's already got his audience to go, yeah, that is really interesting. That the body is so complex and diverse, yet it, it accomplishes these simple things. With one little phrase, he can get us to go, yes, yes, Paul, we agree. Paul goes, yeah, wait till the next phrase, right? So I'll read that again. Verse 4, four, just as each of us has a body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. All right, here we go. Now we're talking. We got this this analogy, this analogy of the body. And diversity is good. And it's interesting that diversity isn't good just in and of itself. I think the world wants us to think that. Oh, isn't it great just to be different? It's not diversity for diversity's sake. It's diversity for something's sake. And this is another one of these little phrases, and you can see it everywhere in Paul's letters. He uses this phrase, and and maybe you caught it there. So, two little words, in Christ. So in Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He says this everywhere. This is another one of these concepts that's two words. And if we get off track with what these two words mean, 
we might as well close this book, put it back on the bookshelf, and let it collect dust. Without the knowledge of what these two words really mean, it's pointless. It is absolutely pointless. So what in the world does Paul mean in Christ? In Christ. Now, when we think of community, we think of the benefits of community. We think of what it feels like to have a friend come alongside you or to have someone celebrate with you when something wonderful has happened or to have a really tight life group or, or have a really awesome worship experience. Those are benefits. Paul's saying, but listen, guys, those are great and we need to celebrate those. But those aren't the point. And if you search for those, if those are the point for you, you're going to end up wanting. You're not going to be satisfied. This little phrase, so in Christ, he's using this analogy, this body analogy, in Christ. In Christ is what we have in common. This is the point of community. And if you've been a Christian for very many years at all, it's easy to lose that as the point. It becomes about the benefits. It might even become about where the church is going or the direction or our mission that we're trying to accomplish. But Paul is saying, hang on, just, just pause for a minute and remember what we have in common. This analogy of the body even works further because he's saying, listen, we're, we're like many parts of one body. And, and we all have this thing in common. We have this thing in Christ in common. It's like, it's like my, my left to, uh, big toe toenail has in common with my right ear. About the only two things, only thing that those two things have in common is me. Is me. If I go to cut down a tree in my backyard, what in the world does the left toenail have to do with that mission or that goal? Not a lot. But with everything else that's going on in my body when I complete that task, my toenail shares that. It shares the identity. It's me. That's what it's odds. I, I get this. This is me. That's the only thing those two things have in common. So he's saying diversity is a good thing, but it's only about what you share in that diversity, what you have in common. We have to remember that. Because if we chase the benefits of community without getting what we share in common, it's going to be a big hot mess. In Christ. There's another interesting concept in this little phrase. In this little verse, he goes on. He, did you catch that? So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others belongs? What do you mean, Paul? What do you mean belongs? Well, if you think back to when you accepted Christ, maybe that was yesterday or maybe it was 30 years ago, when you accepted Christ, and we use this, this, this language a lot, and maybe we don't really think about what it means. You put off the old man, Paul says, and you took on the new man. You, you put off your old identity, or, or maybe Christ put off your old identity, and you, and you take the identity of Christ one of the things that that means is you no longer have an identity in and of yourself. You gave that up. And if you're like me, the, 
the good red-blooded American individualism that I have grown up with. I go, whoa, 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 you mean I'm, I'm not me anymore? I'm not, like, I'm not in control of me anymore? I kind of I like me, if you don't mind. Let's, let's, just be, let's just be we on Sunday, and I'll be me the rest of the week, right? Paul is saying, no, remember what you did. Remember to what extent. You see, Jesus didn't just give you a good cleansing. He took your identity and he threw it away because it was broken. And he gave you this new identity. And that identity is him. And I picture it like, like Christ's righteousness. It's like a robe. And he, and he gives it to us and we wrap ourselves in Christ's righteousness. And now God the Father looks down at us and he doesn't see our righteousness because we know there is no right righteousness other than Christ's. He sees Christ. That's what happened when we gave up our identity. And boy, am I glad we did. But subsequently, now you own me. (laughs) Now you own me and I own you. That's what he's saying. You belong to each other. So if you've accepted Christ and your identity is in Christ and my identity is in Christ... We use this phraseology, you know, brothers or brothers and sisters, and that's true, but it's more than that. Now I'm responsible to you. (laughs) And it's not just because I'm the pastor. It's because I have the same identity as you. And you are responsible to me. And it gives all new motivation when a brother or sister is hurting. It's It's like a body member hurting. So when I stub my toe in the church, one of you gets hurt, pops off at the mouth and hurts my feelings, and you pop off at the mouth because of the sin in your life, it hurts my feelings, and I get mad and pop off at the mouth and hurt you again. That's the equivalent of me stubbing my toe, being mad it hurts, and then kicking it again, right? No, I'm not going to hurt the toe again. It's hurt. I gotta bandage it. I I gotta care for it. I gotta take it easy and rest so the thing heals. So when we when we experience pain because of someone's sin, our response is not "Mm, I'm gonna (laughs) I'm gonna discipline them. I'm gonna show them. It's it's oh man, you're hurting. Let me let me help you. And 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 the hope is is that when I'm hurting tomorrow, you're gonna do the same thing. You see. Now you own me, and and I own you, and you belong to me, and I belong to you. That's a a deep, deep concept that Paul is is getting at there. Joni Erickson Tata said this, Believers are never told to become one. You'll never see that. Hey, you guys got to become one. (laughs) No, no, no. We're not told to become one. We already are one, and we're expected to act like it. So when the body receives an injury, we need to care for it. And just like the passage last week, we're challenged to care for each other, to build those burdens. All right, moving on, verse 6. 
He's digging a little deeper with this diversity idea. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So we, the many members, also have different gifts. So it's not just that we're unique people, that we're connected to the same body. It's that we all have different gifts in unique people that are connected to the same body. That's like, that's like a double layer of diversity. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. There's another one of those little phrases. So much in that, to the grace given you. So this allows us to celebrate the gifts. We know what we share in common, and that's Christ. So when we see a gift being used to God's glory, the hope is that you can celebrate it. And you can go, whoa, look at that. That's so different than the way I do it or, or what I do. We can celebrate those gifts. And we can celebrate them because we know that person doesn't deserve them. Just like we don't deserve the gift we have. It's all based on this idea of grace in Christ. We don't deserve it. Paul doesn't even deserve to say it. You don't deserve the gift that you have. I don't deserve the gift I have. And I'd, I'd just like to point out, these are not natural gifts. These are spiritual gifts. And we're going to get a, 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 a partial list of spiritual gifts in a minute. I think physical gifts can help spiritual gifts, but these are different. These are the gifts that God gives us when we become saved. So we're different people in one body. We're connected. The thing that we have in common is Christ. And we have these gifts that God gives us knowing that we don't deserve them. This allows us to see a gift and not be jealous. Or to have a gift and not feel embarrassed. And you might go, well, that sounds kind of weird, but, but think about it. Ever watched an Andy Stanley sermon video? I have. Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of them. I love that guy, and I really wish I had that gift. Oh my gosh, do you know what I could do with his gift of teaching? But here's the thing. Andy Stanley doesn't deserve that gift, according to Paul. And here's the thing, I don't deserve the gift that I've been given. So that allows me to look at Andy Stanley's sermons and go, yeah, you go, man, that's awesome. I can't do that, but I don't need to. Do you realize the complexity of our body? What, what, if, what if our body had all elbows, the kind of things that we could get done? Just take a minute, picture that, if you don't mind. All elbows. It's pretty awkward, right? Pretty awkward. The analogy he's drawing on here and he's doubled down on with this diversity of gifts is, is so complex. I can remember um, we were in Denver at the, the History of Science and Natural Science of History, I think. It's a, it's a museum in Denver. And they had this art exhibit that showed up and they do these like traveling art exhibits. And it's this really gross exhibit, but it's fascinating. So bear with me. There's about 20 cadavers. Cadavers, cadavers, that's the word, cadavers that were donated to this experiment and they, and they positioned them without skin. You could see their muscles and their tendons and their bones and they positioned them doing simple things. Like one was like kicking a soccer ball, his legs back like this and he's positioned and you get to see the complexity of the muscles and the joints and the tendons and everything that goes into just kicking a soccer ball. And I, and I remember seeing that going, whoa, 
Like the complexity with that is just kicking a soccer ball. When I go up to shake your hand, all the things that happen in my body are going on at the same time. And Paul's saying, isn't that amazing? It's just like the church. So when you get your spiritual gift or when you learn about your spiritual gift, you need to be proud of that gift, not because you deserve it. It's because God gave you grace and gave it to you, extended it to you, even though you don't deserve it. You can celebrate people's gifts knowing that. Second part of six, if your gift is prophesying, prophesy accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I love seeing your gifts in action. I love it. And I have somebody in my mind who has the gift of serving. And and when that person serves, it blows my mind. That person can run circles around me when it comes to service. And it would be doing that person a disservice, and it would be doing God a disservice, and it would be doing my gifts a disservice if I wanted that gift, or if I, if I wanted to use that gift in that way. Because it's about Christ that we're united to. It's not about me. And that's the warning in the beginning. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. This list of gifts is a non-exhaustive list, and, and I hope that you go research spiritual gifts if you've not already done that. Um, here's a couple of passages I'm going to give you really quickly. If you're taking notes or you're the note kind of person, write these down. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, and then the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30. There's two sets there. Ephesians 4, 11, and 1 Peter 4.11. So that list again is 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30, Ephesians 4 through 11, or 4.11, chapter 4, verse 11, and ironically the same in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 4.11. You'll get a really good guess, a good shot or glimpse of, of all the spiritual gifts. So, what does togetherness look like? at Grace Chapel in 2019. I can tell you the way forward in understanding what grace or or what togetherness looks like here in this church. The way forward is knowing deeper and deeper the thing that connects us. That's that's the only way forward. That's the only way we'll get there. Because if we get all excited about spiritual gifts or we get all excited about diversity or we get all excited about what the church is supposed to accomplish or we get all excited about what it's looked like in the past or, or, or what it could look like in the future, we miss the point. And the point, ironically, is as simple as Paul's two little words, in Christ. We can't miss the point. In fact, we have to deepen our understanding of the point if we want to experience the type of togetherness, togetherness that never stops deepening. And that's what we're after. We're after a deepening of understanding. That's what tomorrow looks like. And that's what next week looks like and six months from now. Deepening our understanding of what it means to be in Christ. 
That's what discovery looks like. Deepening our understanding of the unity with Christ unifies us with the church and all its diversity. I'll read that again. Deepening our understanding of the unity with Christ, of unity with Christ, unifies us with the church and all its diversity. It's the only way. It's the only way forward. So the application is really simple. What we have to do this morning or after this morning is really simple. We have to deepen our relationship with Jesus. (laughs) It's just like that. All the things that surround the church and all it does and all it can do hinges on this one little concept, your relationship with Jesus. All the seminary degrees, all the memorization, all the scripture knowledge, all the classes, all the books, dictionaries, commentaries, original languages, all that is worth nothing unless you're deepening your relationship with Jesus. I, I hold a huge, high standard on information about Jesus. This is full of information about Jesus. I read a ton about Jesus. Like I said, dictionaries, commentaries, you name it. If it's written about Jesus, I want to read it. I want to learn, and I want to learn who Jesus was, and I want to learn what he did and how he felt and what he said and how people responded. I want all of that. But it's all worthless without knowing him personally. So how do we deepen our relationship with Jesus. What does that look like in your life? I'm going to ask you some tough questions. When was the last time you spoke to him? When was the last time he spoke to you? Maybe you're one of those, one of those people that are really disciplined and you have your devotional time every morning and that's, that's wonderful. But the way forward is more. And so I challenge you to spend more time with Jesus than you spend now, whatever that looks like. You spend 10 minutes a day with him, fantastic. Next week, spend 10 more. And the week after, spend another 10. And on and on, and build it, and build it, and build it. Maybe you're at an hour. Maybe you're at two hours. Amazing. I'm not talking about feeling the presence of Jesus throughout your day. I'm talking about dedicated time with him. When I think about my relationship with my wife, I want to experience my wife in new ways, and I want her to experience me in new ways, and I want our relationship to deepen. And I don't want it to stop until my last breath. I want to be knowing and growing and learning about her, and I want her to feel the same thing. So it takes discipline, and there's a lot of times I fail at it. Sometimes we get it right. I got to ask her new questions. I have to have new conversations. I have to spend more and more time with her. And when I'm apart, I want to want to spend time with her. That's the way it is with Jesus. This is actually easy. And the reason it's easy is because he wants to spend time with you. Connie mentioned that this morning in adult Bible class. God wants to spend time with you. He wants to be your friend. That's who it is. That's who we're talking about. So all you have to do is practice basic relational truths. You want, to spend, you want to get to know somebody, you spend more time with them, right? That's all you do. You spend more time and more time and more time and more time. 
So that's the challenge this morning. Spend more time than you are, than you have with Jesus. And there's been times in my life where I've dedicated portions of my day to spending time with Jesus, and I can tell you what changes in my life. The things that change, I still have problems, in case you're wondering. Those didn't go away miraculously. Wish they did. I still had sin. I still had fears. I still had frustrations. All those things still happened. But the interesting thing is, is the more time that I've spent with Jesus, the more resilient I become. You see, when I don't spend time with Jesus, I tend to bounce off of life. But when I spend time with him, life seems to bounce off of me. I've got a companion. I've got someone who has my back and he's walking with me. I usually spend time with Jesus in three different ways. Um, and, and sometimes I, I, I spend him these three ways together at the same time. Sometimes it's mixed up throughout the day. Sometimes it's in different order. But this is the way I break it down in three parts. The first one is prayer. And typically, now it's not all-encompassing prayer, but it's the prayer that I speak. It's the prayer that I'm requesting. It's the prayer that I'm sharing. I'm talking. I'm telling him my fears, my hopes, my dreams. I'm confessing. I'm sharing guilt. I'm asking him. That's a third of it. And then I do this other thing, and this is just me, but it's something to, to think about. I spend time in silence with Jesus. And, and the way that I do that, because I'm a, well, I'm a chatterbox. You guys know this. The way I focus my mouth, stop talking, as I do word pictures in my head. And I imagine, this is so silly, because you can't imagine it, but I try. I imagine what heaven looks like. And I imagine walking through the city. And I imagine all my loved ones greeting me that I haven't seen. I imagine what it smells like in the air and the weather. And I try to imagine as much as I can. And then I, and then I imagine what it looks like to walk into the throne room. And I imagine it like I can't see it and then I turn a corner and then I see it. And it's this long throne room. And at the very end of the throne room is Jesus. What he looks like to me. What he says to me as I, as I kneel at his feet. And I just, I focus my brain for as much time as I can in silence thinking about that. And sometimes he speaks to me. Sometimes he doesn't say anything at all. Sometimes it's only a minute or two and sometimes it's an hour. That's the third thing, or the second thing that I do. And the third thing is I read about Jesus. And typically I turn to the Gospels because I want to know what he said. I want to know how he reacted I want to know the questions that people asked him, and I want to know what he answered with. And put those three things together, and that's the time that I have with Jesus. And it's hard, you guys. Life is crazy. Life is busy. There's challenges. I'm pulled in hundreds of directions. But if we as a church want to move forward, if we want to really experience the ecclesia that he has for us, we need to double down the time that we spend with him. And we need to get to know him in new ways and in deeper ways. So I challenge you this morning, spend more time with him today than you did yesterday. And for all those engineers out there, just give it 10 more minutes a week. Take your week that you spend with Jesus. Next week, 10 more, right? Next week, you can build a little graph if you want. Make it, make it look. Put it on your calendar, journal about it, I don't care. That's the challenge.
deepening our understanding of unity with Christ unifies us with the church and with all its diversity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity we have to just be here and experience you in a, in a way that we don't experience you throughout the week. Lord, thank you for being faithful and being here and being with us. Lord, thank you for wanting to be close. And God, I know that each one in this room has a different deepening sense of you in their life. Lord, I even think of the thief on the cross and he only knew you for a moment. Yet you welcomed him into your kingdom. And God, I ask that we would start there. We would start with an introduction with you if we've never met you. And that we would grow and deepen our relationship with you. And Lord, we know in this world that doesn't make us something that looks maybe different on the outside. We still have struggles and failures and life is still hard. But we know you're with us. We love you, Jesus. We ask that you would meet us where we are and you would walk this road with us. In your name, amen. Thank you.